Hey friends, welcome back. My name is Joe. This is the Joe Martino Show. And today we're going to kick off a themed series that will take us through January and maybe into early February, talking about how we think and how that affects our lives. We're going to talk about some defense mechanisms and how they seem to protect us, but actually usually hurt us. And then we're going to talk about what are better ways to achieve the thing that we're trying to achieve by engaging in the defense mechanisms. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome back. My name is Joe, and we are kicking off 2022 for the Joe Martino Show. Took the last two weeks off, and it was enjoyable. I enjoyed myself, went on vacation with my family, rest, relaxed, recuperated, that type of thing. I hope that your holidays were good. I hope that you had a good Christmas or whatever holiday it is that you celebrate. I hope that it was good. I also hope that you had a good New Year. A lot of thought I've been wondering, okay, what am I going to talk about as we move into the new year? What are the topics that we're going to focus on going to be about this year? And we ended the year, the very last episode was talking about how do we talk to our kids about uh, school shootings, about going to school with the the possibility that a school shooter could show up and, and what might be the anxieties that that brings to their day and how do we navigate that with them? And then as we look, or as I look to this year, I've had a couple ideas. I'm reading a book by an author that I've really liked a lot of his work in the past. I'm actually not finding this book to be up to par on on everything that I've come to expect from him from his previous works. But, you know, it's a good book. It talks about ideology, how, how loosely we should hold on to our ideology. How good are you at rethinking the things that you believe? And I want to get into that. That's something that we're going to talk about uh, at some point in the new year. We're going to talk about like, hey, if you're not challenging your own beliefs, you you have a problem. For instance, there's a woman in our town who, I'm just going to be really transparent here. It's difficult for me to talk to her because she's constantly asking like, well, how do you manage screen time with your kids? How do you manage screen time with your kids? And, and. If I answer, she's like, well, I don't want to try your way because I tried it once and it didn't work. And I've brought this up before, so somebody out there who's a regular listener may be laughing at me. Uh, Matt, I'm, I'm thinking of you might be laughing at me. Uh, I don't talk to her anymore because I'm tired of her like, okay, well, wait, you haven't actually questioned your own beliefs. You didn't try what you said you tried. You tried it for three hours. That's not the same as actually trying it. And... This is this is a a difficult thing because one of the things that happens is 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 as we grow as we age, we tend to hold on to our beliefs in a much more stringent way. We hold on to them uh, almost offensively. This becomes a defense mechanism. That's a key phrase because that's where we're going to spend most of the month of January. Uh, and, and so as a person matures, they tend to be uh, they, they tend to be more stringent in their beliefs. And they're not willing to re-question what they believe. And if you're not willing to do that, if you don't spend regular time rethinking some of the things that you hold to be near and dear to you, you're probably not growing the way you should be and you're probably operating off of bad information. One of the things that is hard for us as a society is we're learning faster. We're consuming more information faster. And not all of the things that we believe to be true 
yesterday, last week, last year, two years ago, four years ago, three years ago, is actually true. And where this becomes a problem is because as a society, we crave certainty as a way to avoid pain. And when we feel pain, we engage in what is called defense mechanisms. And these defense mechanisms will often work in the beginning to bring us some level of comfort. And we tend to be people, our brain tends to work in a way that as people, we want to make decisions faster. So here's something that is actually often thought to be true, but is not true. I will hear people say, well, I'm smart, therefore I'm good at reading people. Probably not true. I will hear people say, well, I'm smart, so I'm I'm better at, at understanding, you know, stereotypes don't exist. I'm better, I'm less likely to be duped. Actually not true on either account. In both situations... The smarter you are, the more likely you are to be duped by bad information. The more likely you are to be caught by stereotypes. That's a reality that we have to accept and then adjust to. And one of the other things is is we're no longer really engaging in what I would call logical thinking. Uh, We have come to the place where it's more important to feel right than to be right often. We'll engage in logical fallacies, and I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I've talked a little bit in the past about the the, the meme culture, right? Memes are are, are typically, uh, you know, two or three sentences trying to discuss very complex topics, and they often uh, engage in fallacious thinking. Is that even a word, fallacious? Uh, it, I, I hope it is. You know, in other words, they engage in thinking that is not logically sound. Um, in the last two years, we, we've seen a lot of this. We've seen a lot of all or nothing thinking. Occasionally, I go back and listen to old episodes, and I was listening to one from the beginning of uh, COVID and, and just some of the all or nothing thinking that was going on. I talked about recently how I was at a party and a friend of mine said it, and then later... You know, after we talked about it, he was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Or he, he said it. He said something that was all or nothing thinking. And, and so as we engage in these ideas, what we're going to spend in January is we're going to spend this some time here over the next probably four episodes, maybe five. We're going to talk about thinking. How does thinking affect our daily life? How does defense mechanisms affect our thinking? Which comes first, the defense mechanism or the thinking? And and I think this is important because it can be helpful to whoever's listening that you can then move forward in, in, in addressing your own defense mechanisms. Because these defense mechanisms that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks are ones that hurt your quality of life because they they feel like they provide a layer of protection from pain. In reality, they almost always bring more pain. And here's what makes defense mechanisms uh, so difficult is in the beginning, when we first encounter them, they provide a service. They provide protection. And so this week, what I want to talk about is cognitive distortions. And I've talked around these numerous times. I don't believe we've ever done an episode where we talked about all of them and how they work as a defense mechanism. So we're just going to start right off the top and, and this is just something that I, I'm going to read to you a sheet that I hand to all my clients whenever we talk about cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are irrational thoughts and can influence your emotions. They often do influence your emotions. 
everyone experiences cognitive distortions to some degree, but in their more extreme forms, they can be harmful. And this is important. We all will have some of these at some time. And you know how I feel about universals, but, but we will engage in these at some time. And at some level, it's not a big deal. It's probably not too big a deal until it becomes an extreme or it becomes something that is completely guiding our life. And, and so the first one that we'll talk about is magnification and minimization. And this is exaggerating or minimizing the importance of events. One might believe that their own achievements are unimportant, unimportant or that their mistakes are excessively important. Or you could go the other way on that that their mistakes are excessively unimportant. In other words, we, we don't stop and ask ourselves, is my mistake or is my achievement commensurate with the importance that I'm giving it? Does it match? Does my emotion match what, what what's going on here? Does my response match what I'm going on here? For instance, uh, I had a client one time come into my office and he was about 15 minutes late. And I always joke that we can start whatever time you get there up to 20 minutes after the hour. Uh, once we get to 20 minutes, it's too late. But we end on time because we start, our starting is dependent upon what time you get there. Uh, our ending is dependent upon me following through on what I said. And most of the time we'll stop on time. He was so angry that he was almost crying. I mean, like there were tears welling up in his eyes. He was so angry. And I said, well, why are you? well, I hate being late. Okay, well, you've been coming. This was, you know, session number 14 or 15 or half a year or something. And I'm like, how many times have you been late? Never. Okay, well, then is your emotional anger, does it match the importance of being late 15 minutes to this appointment over something you couldn't control? And what happened was he was magnifying this idea that I need to be on time all the time. In fact, what actually was going on was one of the reasons I have worth is because I'm on time all the time because that's respectful to other people. And if I'm respectful to other people, then they will value me and be respectful to me, trying to avoid pain. But that isn't how it works. And you'll see this with people who have made uh, mistakes in their life. They, they magnify them to the point where like, well, okay, well, I can never come back for that. Or, well, and you'll even hear people do this to other people like, well, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. And what they do is they tend to magnify the problems and they minimize any effort made to move forward because it's safer to stay where you're at. I often find with clients that there is this, oh man, what would be the word? There is this this, this struggle to, to have, there has to be something wrong with me that I can't overcome because then I can justify my mediocre life. And by mediocre, I don't mean like, you know, we all have to have a, uh, you know, billionaire life or we all have to invent the cure for cancer, but... There are a lot of people who are not living out their potential and the defense mechanism that they use is magnification and minimization because they, they don't want to get into the nitty gritty of their life. So if they're using magnif magnification, they'll often minimize their own errors and magnify their mediocre successes or they will magnify their errors and minimize their successes. Right. And so, so a lot of times with clients, one of the things we have to point out to clients is they'll, they'll come in and they'll just be discouraged. Like, oh man, this happened and that happened. And, and one thing that a, a therapist will often have to do is point out like, Hey, all of that is true. And all of that is frustrating. And think about all the progress that you made this, this time, this time frame from where you started to where you are now towards your goal. We want things to be in focus, right? I don't know if you've ever played soccer or coach soccer or watch soccer, one of the things that uh, soccer coaches will do is they will teach their, co their, their goalies 
to charge at a guy who has a breakaway or a shoot a, a shooter, a guy with the ball on the other team, who's past the defense. Because what it does is it creates two things. It creates in the shooter's mind a, a disproportionate size to the goalkeeper versus the goal, so that he can he, he's now messing with the shooter's mind, and it makes him more difficult to shoot around because he's cutting down angles and making his body. It's still the same size, but in effect, it's bigger. And this is what magnification and minimization does with our lives. We we can make things too big. Okay, well, I had a hard childhood, so I can never be a good parent. Well, that's magnification, my friend. Oh, man. Okay, so, yep, you know what? I, I just left my kids, and I just walked away from them, but they just need to get over that. That's minimization, my friend. Hey, my friend, you're engaged in this activity and it's destructive for you as an adult. Yeah, but that's just something I learned in the culture that I grew up in. Yeah, but that's magnification. You can overcome that. And so magnification and minimization is one of the cognitive distortions that we utilize. And and this can be something we can use either positives or negatives to keep ourselves stuck. Catastrophizing. This This is a common one. Seeing only the worst possible outcomes of a situation. And, and what happens is as people engage in catastrophizing thinking, especially in a day and age where safety rules above all, that becomes a very powerful weapon in our mind for us to not go forward. Because why would you go back to school? You might not make it. You might flunk out. Why would you try to write a book? Because you might not get it done. Why would you go on that date? Because they might turn out to be a jerk. I, I Right now, I'm, I'm, talking, uh, I'm, I'm talking in a therapeutic way with a person who is in a stage of life where they're lonely. I'm like, well, why don't you go on a date? No, because there's a lot of weirdos out there my age. Yep, that's that's actually probably true. But can you see positive outcomes? And again, we want to balance this. We want to avoid only seeing positive outcomes. We want to avoid ignoring red flags in, in situations like that. But a person who catastrophizes, what they do is they feel like they're keeping themselves safe, but they're really not. And, and that's going to be a theme through this episode when you catastrophize, so I won't let my kids uh, jump on a trampoline because they might break their neck. And I literally know uh, of a situation where this happened where, well, the parents wouldn't let the daughter jump on a trampoline in the snow because she might fall and break her neck. So they let her go sled riding and she, you guessed it, broke her neck. Now, she's not paralyzed. She was able to, to heal uh, with some limited mobility. But the reality is there's there's danger in anything that we do. And this is the hard part. We have, we've actually, you'll hear catastrophizing a lot as reasoning for why you should do things. Well, if you don't, blah, blah, blah will happen. If you don't, blah, blah, blah will happen. And, and on the COVID thing, I hear both sides do this. I literally had someone say to me, well, you know, the people that are getting uh, vaccinated, uh, all, all of them are going to be sterile within three years. So just to be clear, 70% of the population is going to be sterile within the next three years. Yes. Okay. On the other side of it, you know, people that aren't getting vaccinated, they're going to kill us all. Kill us all. Well, wait, you're vaccinated. Yeah, but they're going to kill us all. Oh, okay, that's catastrophication. Now, we can talk about probabilities. I love to talk about probabilities, right? I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'm a good 70% guy. Uh, if, if, if I think there's a 70% chance that it'll go relatively well, I'll probably try it, uh, depending on what the 30% failure outcome is. So the trampoline thing. I don't really jump on trampolines anymore. I'm, I'm aging. I have I have bad knees. And jumping on trampolines doesn't seem wise to me. It seems like it would increase the opportunity 
for my knees to uh, finish. I have my neighbor, he actually had to have surgery on his knee and it was an ordeal. And I'm not sure my insurance would cover as much of it as I would like. And I think my doctor, what do they call that? More my orthopedic would laugh at me because he'd be like, why were you jumping up and down? Now, if you're a perfectionist and Sarah, who has written a couple times to me about like, hey, can you talk about perfectionism? I am going to do that. It's not actually on today's list, but perfectionist, one of the things that they will often do is they will catastrophize. If this isn't perfect, the only thing that can come out of it is negative outcomes. And that's usually a bad, a bad ticket because that's, that's not accurate. That's one of the reasons it's typically a bad ticket. All right. Overgeneralization, making broad interpretations from a single or few events. I felt like I felt awkward during. So here's an illustration. I felt awkward during my job interview. I am always so awkward. Or you're carrying a bucket and you drop it. Oh, I'm just such a klutz. Or you do something socially awkward in a situation. You call somebody by the wrong name. Oh, see, I'm just terrible in social situations. And you start to engage in these these troubles where you take an event, something that happens, which was true. Let's just say like in the illustration on the sheet, the awkward job interview, maybe the person was awkward during the job interview. But then the question becomes, okay, so what? That doesn't mean that you're awkward all the time. Or one of the one of the places where I hear overgeneralization is in the spanking conversation. Well, I was spanked and I turned out okay. All right, cool. Maybe you did. But here's the problem. Here's why that's overgeneralization. Then all I need to do is find one person who was spanked who didn't turn out fine. And we're even. We're at zero. That's not an argument. It's a feeling. It's a statement. In fact, and we'll often do this. We'll hear people say, you got to trust your gut. And to some extent, I believe that. There are people that I, they just trip all my flags. And, and part of that is from my own trauma in my, in my life. But at the same time, I have to be willing to question it and I have to hold it kind of loosely because overgeneralization will take one sliver of information and roll it out to a bunch of other slivers of information. Uh, one time I, I, I used to post to my own personal Facebook page I used to post uh, status updates that were set weeks in advance. I used a, an app, and, and most of my status updates were sent weeks in advance. Since uh, Facebook made some changes a couple years ago, and you can't do it this way anymore. You have to do a workaround. But I, I saw a family that was in some relational distress, and a status update went up about families in relational distress right around the same time. And, and the guy who made the appointment was like, hey, was that about us? I was like, no. It, actually, if you look at the timestamp, it went up while I was in session with you. And you'll notice that I, I didn't have my phone or my computer with me when I was in session with you. But it, it like literally what happened was they never came to see me again. And I think in part it was because they rolled it out to that has to be about us. No, no, it actually isn't. That's called an overgeneralization, a cognitive distortion. And remember, cognitive distortions, what they are, is how we think affects our lives in greater ways than we probably realize. I would actually argue how you think runs your life. And cognitive distortions are very similar to wearing glasses that don't fit your eye description or your eye prescription. Or think about this. If I came to your house right now and I was able to magically or hermetically seal orange lenses over your eyes, okay? So now your eyes are completely encased in orange-colored lenses. If you saw snow, what color would the snow be? It would still be white, but you would see it as orange. 
you would have a visual distortion. If you've ever been to a circus or a fair or a carnival where they have the mirrors where like you stand in front of one mirror and it looks like there's seven of you or you look like you're eight feet wide or three inches thin. Those are visual distortions. Cognitive distortions work as visual distortions for our brain. All right, the next uh, cognitive distortion is magical thinking. And this is defined as the belief that acts will influence unrelated situations. The example given in the sheet that I give my clients is, I am a good person, bad things shouldn't happen to me. And this is something that I hear a lot from people, like, well, it shouldn't be this hard. Why is this happening to me? Why do all these bad things always happen to me? That's actually another uh, cognitive distortion, also known as all or nothing thinking. But it starts here with magical thinking of this idea of, because I'm a good person, only good things should happen to me. Or because I try, only success should come my way. Or because uh, I didn't cheat, no one should ever cheat on me. Uh, you can tell I work with a lot of couples that are caught in that. Uh, that comes up a lot. Or because I wanted it to be good, it should be good. Or because I wanted to do my best, it should have turned out right. That None of those actually track. Magical thinking is when we think something should happen just because. Well, I feel like that's right, so it should be right. Nope, that doesn't make it right. If I feel like 2 plus 2 is 5, that doesn't make 2 plus 2 5. And this is important because what happens is as you lean into this, this magical thinking, you tend to let it run. People tend to let it run their lives because what happens is we get rewarded for it. You'll see this regularly in social media, and somebody will put somebody will come up with a magical thinking meme or statement, and somebody invariably in the first three comments will be, ooh, boom. Mic drop. Oh, it's dumb. It's dumb. I don't even remember one time a couple years ago, uh, my wife and, and this guy were in a conversation and he actually quoted himself and then was like, boom, mic drop. And like, this wasn't even on social media. This was face to face. And he was like, boom, mic drop. And I was like, what are you doing, dude? And so I said, hey, man, have you ever heard of magical thinking as a cognitive distortion? Because you really should look it up. Uh, and we went on with our day and it was fine. But magical thinking is this idea that just because I want something to happen, it should happen. Or uh, all, we'll start to use always and never. Good things never happen to me. I always try my best. No, you don't. No one always... No, Joe, I really do. No, you don't. No, you don't. Right? It's always funny to me when, when, when couples come in and they want to talk about sex. Instead, I'll ask them like, hey, let's talk about how you pursue your wife. Because usually... Well, no, I don't even know that's true. Let's talk about how you pursue your partner. Whichever one it is. Uh, I, whichever one's like, I don't feel like I'm getting enough sex. How well do you pursue your partner? And invariably, they'll be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay. Well, then how will your sex change life? I don't know. We ought to just have sex because I want to. Welcome to magical thinking. Like, she knows I love her because we're unmarried. Well, she says she won't like that. Well, he wouldn't like that. How do you know? Have you ever tried it? Well, yeah, and they said they didn't like it. Oh, okay. One time? Did you ever try something? And we're like, nope. Because one of the things that we do, remember, we're, we're talking about self-defense mechanisms this, this month. Maybe this month and into next as I kind of look at the time of this podcast and realize how I've not gotten through as much of the information as I thought I would. We will often say, well, I don't want that because we're afraid if we do, then it's going to be taken away. And, and so that's painful. And, and so magical thinking is this idea that because I feel like it, it should happen. I want my business to succeed, so it should. 
or I don't feel like this is operating the way that it should be, so it isn't. And, and these are things that run... The magical thinking will get us in trouble because it robs us of the responsibility to do. And, and I've had this happen when I was a teacher. Well, you know, I tried my best, so I should get an A. No, that isn't actually the metric for why you get an A. And, and that's one of the reasons that I think we have people who really struggle to learn as adults now is because we've raised them in a system where your effort is actually the only metric that we seem to count much. And, and so what happens is people, one of, my, one of the things that my college professor friends always complain to me about is how many kids they get that aren't actually able to do good research or good writing when they get to college, so much so that they have to have a non-credit course for it. And, and my one professor friend was like, you know, and some of these kids are graduating high school with A's or B's. And I agree with them. Like, okay, yep, they're caught in magical thinking. But then I'll say to him, well, maybe we need to just overhaul the whole thing. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The school system works. Well, why does it work? Well, because I feel like it works. Well, that, my friend, is magical thinking. All right, we're going to do one more and then we're done for today. Personalization, the belief that one is responsible for events outside of their own control. For instance, my mom is always upset. She would be fine if I did more to help her. This personalization runs two ways, right? You walk into a room, people are laughing. Oh, they must be laughing about me. Somebody uh, is not doing well, and it has to be your fault. You have to figure out how you can make them feel better. That's impossible. I talk regularly about Circle Square. Personalization hurts us because it robs us of the ability to realize that other people are responsible for their own position. They're responsible for their own emotions. They're responsible for their own words. They're responsible for their own reactions. And, and personalization will run like, oh, well, they disagreed with me, so they hate me. Or I disagree. Here's one where we, I see this a lot. I disagree with them on this topic, so they're unsafe on all these other topics, even though I agree with them. Like, that's insanity. Just absolute insanity to me. Why is that? the metric. So you agree with them on all these things, but because you disagree with them on this, and, and you know, you think about it, uh, I actually read uh, case studies about people that got divorced over who the other person voted for in politics. Now, of course, there's more to the story that I didn't get, right? Because it wasn't in the, uh, wasn't in the research. But all of the people in the research that were quoted said the final straw was they voted for so-and-so. And therefore, they're unsafe. That's personalization. And the thing of it is with personalization, when everything's personal, you feel safe, but you're also very lonely. And that's why it doesn't work. All right, so those are the first uh, cognitive distortions that we're going to go over, and they are magnification and minimization, catastrophizing, overgeneralization, magical thinking, and personalization. Next week, we're going to do part two of this where we're going to talk about some more uh, cognitive distortions. I think I'll get through the whole list then. When we're done with this, we're going to talk about, okay, well, how can we be aware for these cognitive distortions? What do we do to uh, kind of combat them, to kind of overcome them? How do, what do we do to, to move forward with them? And then we're going to move into schemas, which is a very fun and interesting topic. And then we're going to end the series with once you identify a, a self-defense mechanism, what are some things that you could do to maybe protect yourself, right, in a way that is healthier and actually more beneficial. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please share it with three of your friends. It's very important for us that we share things with people that we find important. It helps us engage in the process of being involved with things that are bigger than us. Thanks so much for listening.
We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.